you know, my PhD is in literacy, but people don't like to read a wall of text. And so introducing a module with a video is great because it gives them the big picture. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Peggy Semmingson. Hi, Peggy. Hi. Well, this is some great news for those of you who are new to the podcast. Dr. Semmingson emailed us at facultyfactorykim at gmail.com or the facultyfactory.org website and said, I love your podcast. I'm, I'm really curious if your audience would appreciate what I do. And oh my gosh, wait till you see. Dr. Semmingson is at the University of Texas at Arlington, and I'll have her tell you more details, but she has won numerous awards. Just listen to a couple of them. Distinguished Teaching Professor, the President's Award for Transformative Online Education, the System Regents Outstanding Teacher, the ILA Jerry Johns Outstanding Teacher, USDLA Best Practice Award for Excellence. She's got a YouTube channel she published an awesome article in the Journal of Faculty Development, which I love, entitled Bridging Distance, Fostering Digital Community and Student Voice in Real-Time Synchronous Learning. So what a perfect synchronicity of the yeah. past two years of nonsense and having Dr. Stevenson's <laughs> expertise on the podcast. So Peggy, why don't you start by telling everybody exactly what you do at UT. Sure. Okay, awesome. So I've been teaching online since 2008 when I started my academic career, um, full-time professor on the tenure track. I'm now tenured, which is, you know, it, it's good. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, I teach in the TESOL program. So that's teaching people to teach English as a second or other language, which is really needed. It's a global profession, and so it's perfect for me because I embed training for the students on how to teach through Zoom and how to teach online because so often their jobs and the workforce is, is moving towards online teaching spaces. And, and again, yeah. for 14 years you've been doing this, so yes. isn't that like serendipity that here you are and, and a whole community of people who have been trying to and been building the science and the art and the expertise around doing this. And then lo and behold, how valuable you are and the increased attention to and necessity of us teaching online. So I'm really looking forward to what wisdom you're going to impart with us on how to engage our learners, because I've had many conversations on the podcast recently where I have a lot of anxiety as a high E extrovert used to being with three-dimensional human beings and, and really feeling the sense of disconnect. So I just, I can't wait for you to share um, all these nuggets that you've, you've built up over your career. So take it away, Peggy. Yeah. Well, awesome. And um, I was going to add to that prior to my current role in TESOL, I was an, uh, an elementary school teacher, believe it or not. And so um so it was really an interesting transition, but but yeah, so I think it's it's a really timely topic. It's it's I mean, I think it's been timely, <laughs> you know, because people like the flexibility of online learning. And I think that's what the pandemic brought out. It just accelerated it. It made us realize, oh, I can do this from home. Um, but yeah, the challenge is still there of engaging online learners. And so my main tip is just by design, build in 
outreach to students. And so, and I say students, but I mean learners, because like I teach all ages, you know, um, just, just a mix of people. And I know that people in the audience of your podcast teach mainly or if not primarily adult learners in professional areas. Um, but yeah, just need to engage these really busy learners, people that uh, I think the main change that we've had is we've gone from just pre-recording an hour-long lecture or worse, longer, and then making learning more bite-sized. So I've gotten into micro-learning, which is just short bits of information, short-form learning. Um, so like this podcast is, is like more long-form learning, but the topic is so engaging that people want to listen, you know, that kind of thing. But short-form learning just helps busy people. And so that's really what I've gotten into. And if if we're not doing short-form learning, then it has to be engaging. And, and people mistake that for entertaining. It doesn't have to always be entertaining, but it needs to be engaging. So I think you you hit on the key thing about engaging learners. So can you uh, tell us about what do you mean build in outreach? What does yeah. that mean by that? So most online courses are sort of prepackaged. Um, you know, you've got your modules, you've got your you might have some synchronous sessions, um, but a lot of people really don't know how to structure those live online sessions. And so that, that can be a challenge. Um, but outreach is just sending uh, scheduled emails to students. So maybe every Monday morning, you send an email saying, hey, everyone, here's what we're doing this week or you know whatever that your pace is for the course. Um, but also sending those nudge emails. And so a couple of years ago, you, you really started hearing about nudge emails. So like intervening if someone's not participating in the course or someone just gets derailed. And that happened all the time during the pandemic. I got derailed when I got COVID. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I think a lot of us got impacted, someone in our household, you know, quarantining in our bedrooms. <laughs> so just saying, hey, you know, I noticed you haven't checked in. Um, you know, not not being nosy, but just, you know, can I help you kind of nudge emails? And so that's been especially important in the pandemic. I, I like that. I like the. This, so you're making me think about um, two hats that I try to, you know, use in the podcast is one to leaders who are deans and program developers and staff who are running leadership programs and content and then also as a learner myself, as a faculty member, how, you know, how can I use this information? So I like the scheduled emails, which we do. So we'll say, hey, Peggy, you signed up for the class next Thursday. Don't forget, you have to do the online blah, 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 Myers-Briggs assessment right. to get your full report to be able to participate in the class. And then Monday, hey, don't forget, Peggy, you know, you still didn't do that assessment. You're, you're really not going to get anything out of the session if you don't do it. And I also, I guess I never really thought concretely or purposefully about this, a nudge email, geez, you signed up for the class or this course and you didn't show up mm -hmm. or you signed up and you've missed the past two. Mm -hmm. Like you said, are you okay? Mm -hmm. Is everything yeah. good? No yeah. pressure here. I just, but if you right. need, I like that kind of, I'm not forgotten. I've not fallen off the radar and I do yeah. People miss me when I don't mm -hmm. show up. It's like an accountability mm -hmm. group. If you mm -hmm. kind of sign on to do something and your friends are like, gosh, Peggy, where you been? You know, right. It's it's a exactly. nice to know that you are missed and that you matter and that you do contribute something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the important thing is I imagine you feel like um 
I'm not getting anything from it or I'm not giving anything to it. So I have no value. So that kind of building in value makes people realize that uh, they're, they're counting on me to bring something. Right. Yeah. I love Nadine. And I didn't know, but I used to write these mean emails, like you missed this assignment zero. And, you know, and then, and then I learned about like crafting nudge emails is an art and you're supposed to be supportive. Not- <laughs> and I, it, yeah, exactly. And it's like, it was pretty, because I was, I was writing these nasty, not nasty, but you know, compared to what I do now. And so just you, I was taught by, um, anyway, we use a software an analytic software and we we get a heat map of who's participating and that's how we learn to craft and that's where I learned to craft these nudge emails and you're and you, you need to reframe how you write it and so that's an art and a science and, pe- and people can kind of google writing nudge emails it actually originated out of more like customer servicey kind of um area which is interesting I think it's really new well wait a, wait a second wait a second you said heat map I get yeah. a heat map that is, yeah. I don't know. Hold the phone here. What the heck is <laughs> So we use a software. It's from um, Inspire. It's called Inspire for Faculty. And the company is called Civitas, C-I-V-I-T-A-S. And so we get a heat map so we can see, um, you know, red is like really low, you know, green is, is high. And so we can see at a glance who's participating. It has some other data, uh, but it's really helpful towards getting insights into because we can just look and see oh jay you know we can look and see more manually if you will who's participating or if it's a small course we can just you know we know you know who's not doing things but this this peggy this is super cool now i'm getting super excited you (laughs) when you say participating Mm -hmm. so yeah do you mean attended the session no like it's deeper like not only did kim sign in and she was at the zoom mm-hmm. but she mm-hmm. was participating i'm doing finger quotes like people yeah. hear me click. i'm click i'm clicking finger quotes here that they actually was engaged in bo- doing something in the chat and i was in my breakout yeah. room and there was motion or activity is that what you're talking about more in the asynchronous so not necessarily in the live session but more big picture in the learning most people use learning management systems and so I would just tell everyone, look in your learning management system itself and see what you can do to to sort of see, you know, like it'll say when they've logged in last or activity time. And so those are good metrics, like for kind of for all of us, you know, that are teaching online or digitally just to see learner engagement behind the scenes. Oh, gosh. And, And I'm sorry, Peggy, but I have to just put this out there for my peers who do faculty development. I'm thinking mm-hmm. not only is it like website diagnostics to see how many people went to your podcast exactly. or your YouTube yeah. or your website, mm-hmm. and those kind of analytics, but also when we think demonstrating value of our offices of faculty development, our offices of faculty affairs, we talk about here, like here at Hopkins, kind of what you're talking about earlier, Peggy, that you just kind of run the statistics, who mm-hmm. went to the past course, non-duplicative people, how many faculty do you have? So what proportion mm-hmm. of your at Hopkins exactly. 2,100 faculty took a course? But I like kind of that to me is an old fashioned and obviously valuable exercise mm-hmm. of just keeping lists and tracking who's doing stuff. And if we could superimpose that exercise with a heat map mm-hmm. of just kind of seeing 
that would be mm-hmm. one quick glance. I imagine. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally like easy. what mm-hmm. proportion of our faculty are even opening the, the email? Yes. Oh, yeah, that's super cool, Peggy. Yeah. So I've gotten into analytics um, in that regard. But yeah, just the communication piece of that is so crucial. And so, yeah, just doing nudge emails, doing virtual outreach. Um, I wrote a book chapter and I once and I call myself a virtual mother hen because, I'm, you know, it's kind of like, are you all here? You know, <laughs> And just caring about your online students during the, even during the pandemic, I think there was this approach like, well, we're just going to kind of muddle through and get through the pandemic, and then we'll go back to brick and mortar business as usual. But, you know, these are ways you can really include your students, let them know you're there on the other end, let them know that you care, and that kind of thing. So virtual outreach has been huge for me. Love, love it. So you, can you go back to the micro learning also, the short yeah, yeah, yeah. learning? I love, I want to yeah, hear more. Yeah. So I learned about this in a random offhand remark when I was standing in a buffet um, but, you know, micro learning has been around for a little while and it's really been picked up in the corporate sector, I think, because people are just so busy, but then we're all busy now. Um, and so it's just this idea of kind of taking your competencies or, or your sort of small, smallest um, objectives in your course and then creating content or finding content that goes with those competencies. But it's hard to find micro learning. Um, it's a lot of learning is long, <laughs> you know. But so an example is like a two-minute podcast and a two-question quiz. What? Yeah. So, but, but yeah. So just build it in to your contents. But you might have a series of those micro podcasts. So I used to teach teachers, and let's say I'm teaching, um, you know, how to learn to read. And so I might have a pod, micro podcast on phonics and then one on vocabulary, just giving them the basics of it before we jump in. Um, so yeah, so it's just little bite-sized bits of content. I Usually we think of audio and video, but it, it, it could also just be anything, um, a short segment of text that you send through email. I mean, it's just, it just varies. Or Instagram. Now you're reminding me of... Exactly. Yeah, we talked about snippets on year two of the podcast. We had, we called it the year of the snippet. And I love it. Kind of the same thing that one of our colleagues yeah. uh, came up with years ago at one of our professional conferences for the group on faculty affairs. And she talked about snippets being like 10 minute blocks, but I like this mm-hmm. two minutes is, mm-hmm. I think Peggy, you've nailed it. That's, that's mm-hmm. that'd be perfect if a faculty could go through a library of content and just, mm-hmm. you know, h- highlight or asterisk or star this. Mm-hmm. I want to learn about say, you know, negotiation or mm-hmm. communicating or mediating mm-hmm. conflict. And they could just kind of bang, 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 listen to a couple of quick two-minute things to refresh right. the memory about what should I do as I enter this meeting mm-hmm. where there's a conflict between a postdoc and a faculty member? What are some right. some of the basic principles that I mm-hmm. should adhere to or not do? I think that's awesome. Love yeah, it. yeah. I, I've loved it too. And it's easy to create. You can just do it on your phone. On your phone? What do you mean? Yeah. So I, I pull up the voice memo app. I have an iPhone. And so I just pull it up and make a podcast and send it to myself. And then I put it on SoundCloud or whatever, whatever platform you use. So it can just be almost spontaneous or just go in your closet <laughs> and, and you load, uh, what is it? Uh, minimalist uh, technology. 
So Open like to your closet. Okay, faculty members, are we hearing this? Just step into a closet, step into the restroom, step into your car on the way home. Like, yeah, why not? <laughs> my colleague, Dave Usum talks about he would dictate um, his writing for like scholarly papers on the way home. He'd just say, he'd start talking, you know, you know, the literature shows that da, 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 whereas we know this, we don't know that. And then this paper, we're going to just, he would just start dictating that. And then when he would go home, he'd have the basics, the shell of a paper. So what you're saying, Peggy, is that's brilliant. The same thing if you're going home and something off the top of your head that you just learned or taught today, you can do those sound bite two minute chunks or just mm-hmm. talk, mm-hmm. pause. And then you, by the time you get home, you got a 20 minute series that you could chop up into little nuggets. Oh, mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, and I'll just add one thing while I while I thought about it. Um, something else I like to do with microlearning is the course trailer. So you may have heard of that. So the oh. course trailer. Oh yeah. So like we have movie trailers that get okay. us excited about movies. Um, and so the course trailer is just an overview and a hook to get learners interested in your course coming up next week or month or even next semester. The course trailer. That is. Genius. So it's also an audio. Is that what you're saying to me? So I'm trying to see how this, in my mind, what we do is we love to bury our faculty members in emails. We just love it. <laughs> we love to send them hundreds a day to drive them to just utter distraction. But we try to be fancy, like in our advertising for courses or workshops or you know any kind of sessions, we'll say, have you, do you have trouble writing? Do you find that you have no time in a day? Um, do you have, you know, a trouble finishing a paper or starting a paper? If so, this is for you. So we try to do, we think that's catchy. I don't know if that's an old school and you're laughing, but we try to do that kind of, we need catchy blurbs in an email. But are you telling me, Peggy Sunningson, that if I recorded a course trailer and then how do you put it out in a podcast or would it be embedded as an audio in an email? How would that work? Yeah, so it's usually a video, um, and but it could be a voiceover with a really interesting visual slide. Um, but just getting them into just exactly what you said, like, do you want to learn how to X, Y, and Z? You know, stay tuned. You know, I, I mean, I use those catchy hooks too. <laughs> um, so yeah, just hooking the the future learners in, or sometimes you need to promote your class because the enrollment, you know, is sort of mediocre or whatever. And so we're, we're kind of competing for their attention, for their enrollment. And, and I actually blast mine out on, you mentioned social media. So I, I, I want, I know other people want to know what I'm doing. And so I just, I, you know, without oversharing, I share my course trailer, but also on a meta level, like here is what a course trailer is. And so it just talks about myself briefly, the course content that's going to be covered, you know, your learning objectives in a nutshell, but the one minute version. Oh my and, gosh. Yeah. And then any de- deliverables, like at the end of this course, you'll know how to blah, blah. Yeah. So you put that like on, I imagine someone could put that obviously on Instagram. Oh my gosh. They're LinkedIn, their Facebook, their YouTube, YouTube, the podcast, yeah. YouTube yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh-huh. Yes. That. Yeah. So it's easy. And then, but then I like to share, not all people do, but you can, you know, there's ways to lock it down. Yeah, we we started, we hired um, a really wonderful communication specialist two years ago now, and she and our other program coordinator really good at coming up with infographics. So we thought, well, geez, you know, we the boring old titles are blah, they're not working. So let's come up with snazzy titles. So first we started playing with the really cool, catchy titles. 
Then we try to jazz up the language to make it punchy and short and brief and Mm -hmm. enticing. Mm -hmm. Then we started adding like, how can we put a graphic Mm -hmm. to really pull people? So we've done everything that we can think of, except we've not done these course trailers that like an Mm -hmm. over an audio kind of coming to a theater near you kind of a thing. Yeah. That's super cool. You can Google, anyone can Google like how to make a course trailer and there's tutorials, but I was just going to say, I love infographics too. And I think the best infographics of the pandemic are from the John Hopkins school of public health. They are so like, I love them. They have a little cartoon, four panel cartoons. I I have learned a lot about COVID through that, those infographics. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you just taught me something, Peggy. I didn't even know that the school of public health had infographics. Oh, they're so great. They're informative, but they're like from, you know, they can appeal to literally all ages and you know, and they're, they're persuasive without like hitting you on the head, causing a fight. You know, <laughs> I like it. Persuasive without starting a fight. <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh. So cool. So can, you know, when I was reading your article, I wanted to make sure I asked you about sure. this concept that you, that you brought up that in the chat, you like to encourage, or you have this philosophy of non-hierarchical knowledge. Oh, yeah. Can you share that with us? Because I really liked that, that it seemed like a humble and a, some humility in teaching and recognizing that, especially with adult learners, there's so mm-hmm. much wisdom in the crowd. Mm-hmm. And it does take a lot off of the instructor to recognize that, you don't have to be the keeper of all truth here. There's learning yeah. going. So tell us about this again, non oh, yeah. knowledge. So I, I stumbled across, um, you know, I think it, it came from knowledge management. The field of knowledge management in general talks about how we leverage knowledge. And the idea of non-hierarchical knowledge sharing has always appealed to me because I'm from Alaska. And we always had to share information that could literally save your life. Like there's a bear down the road. (laughs) It doesn't, it doesn't matter who shared that information. It might save your life. Um, And we literally used to share that kind of information. There's a bear down the road or there's a moose or here's how to what, here's what to do if you see a bear. (laughs) And so, you know, that kind of inform or what to do if you don't have your mittens and you're in a snowstorm. I grew up like that, and that we all helped each other out, which sounds corny, but it's but it but it's it was deeply deep seated in me. You know, if someone was by the side of the road and they were broke down, you go help them. Um, and then I moved to Southern California, and it wasn't like that at all. It was like you know, everybody you know, kind of survival of the fittest, more so. That's not to say it was all like that, but just generally Alaska was a little more supportive and nurturing in that way. We helped each other knowledge wise. And so that stuck with me and resonated with me. So this whole idea of like, uh, and it's not new, but this whole idea of that your learners bring a lot um, to the to the equation is helpful. But we tend to think of them as blank slates. And so moving towards leveraging learner to learner ideas really, really is useful. Um, especially with professional programs, like I was in teacher education and now TESOL. And so learners have been out there experiencing things as practitioners, and they can share that that knowledge, especially when there's a range of knowledge. So like in medical areas, you know, there's highly specialized areas. What can we share? So how do you facilitate that, Peggy? How do you, I'm trying to envision Okay, so say I'm going to give a course on um, how to publish a paper, and I'm mm-hmm. it's a and a workshop is an hour and a half, and I have 
assistant professors, associate professors, they're clinic, they're clinician investigators, they're basic scientists, they're running the gamut. And I have breakout sessions planned. And I'm trying to be using my adult active learning, you know, principles. How do I how do I engage around this knowledge management concept without distracting? My big thing is I've heard people talk about, well, please don't use the chat or disabling the chat. because We want you to focus on what the instructor is saying, and then we will have time for chat later on. And then the other end of the spectrum, you know, I see we've all been on calls or sessions where the chat's just blowing up. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's associated with what is being delivered via content. Sometimes it's peripheral. Sometimes it goes way left or sometimes there's a lag. And, you know, Peggy asked us to, tell everybody what you did last summer. And, you know, 10 minutes later, someone's still putting it. I was in Bermuda and you're like, wait a minute, what does that have to do with what's going on now? And then can you talk me through how you do that functionally to make sure that it works and it's not distracting you, the instructor or other students. And, you know, I don't, I, I can't wrap my head quite around how you. Yeah, I totally function. get it. Yeah, I totally get it. Yeah. And I've heard the, the gamut too, like, like what? That's so distracting. And then I've been in ones where they're crickets. And so it just depends. I think it's the tone, you know, if it's a workshop versus a, an ongoing course. But in my ongoing courses, I try to leverage the chat. I think keeping the sessions to a good size helps too. So when you have 600 people, doesn't work, you know. Um, but at the same time, I've been on kind of mid-sized ones where there's they've turned off the chat. Um, and I can understand like with Zoom bombing and and, we, and weird stuff, I can understand why it's shut down. But one thing people can do for sort of assuming, assuming, you know, um, there's no strange people on, on the session um, is having a Google Doc and then linking to that Google Doc. To me, that's, that's the best um, solution for that. And also people that have delayed thoughts or are watching the recording can post. So the Google Doc, you're saying then if you have that in the chat, that people can yeah. click on that and now in live real time mm-hmm. where you've maybe pre-filled in questions or topics, mm-hmm. people can then reflect and go back. Oh, that's right. I also forget about, mm-hmm. I know we're 40 minutes into the thing, but earlier I couldn't think of what I wanted to say, but now I can go back up mm-hmm. and put it there in yeah. the proper place. Mm-hmm. And then the Google Doc can be shared, and now it's a little bit makes more sense. It's kind of organized. Okay, it's organized. Yeah, and it's it's pre-planned. It lets people know like you you planned it, and it's curated too. And so people can also put their own resources. So like they may know, well, so they may have experience or knowledge, but then sometimes it's just a resource, like a link to look into and that kind of thing. Or people can just you know it could it can just be affirming to people. Oh, I use that all the time too. So um, yeah, so experience type of knowledge sharing and then like link type knowledge sharing is good. Yeah, I, I the first time I experienced that and, you, and you're right now, you're re- helping me to reflect on, we have a monthly learning community on coaching that Ann Brown, my, a colleague from Duke puts together and there can be 50, 60 people, but there's always this, it was my first entree into what this Google Doc is. And I went to it and I started typing my name and they said, put your name in the Google doc. And I'm thinking, oh, here we go. My computer's going to explode because I, I'm terrible technology. Then as I was typing my name, I could see other people typing and I'm like, what is happening here? <laughs> but it was an interesting and a good way to keep track of stuff versus mm-hmm. when people put stuff in a chat, then I got to scroll mm-hmm. up in the chat mm-hmm. and copy this and paste that and go there. Mm-hmm. And then 
for someone like me, I don't like all that information flying at me at, at one time. And then it's hard for me to work because I'm a very organized person and that makes me feel unsettled. So I like that Google Doc um, exercise. Great one. You know, you, you know you, your article was about synchronous learning and, and then you mentioned, you know, people who will watch it later. What are your thoughts or what are some tips you have about asynchronous engagement? And do you still oh, yeah. do the, how do you engage with the people who are doing things in the middle of the night or around the world mm-hmm. or on mm-hmm. different, do you do the nudge emails and do you, how do you mm-hmm. build community? When it's- oh yeah. So great. Yeah. So I've mainly been doing videos so like people can watch you and see you. And just anecdotally, my learners from the time I started teaching online have have enjoyed the videos. And in fact, sometimes I meet my students in person at like a conference and they're like, I know you from your videos or they'll I even had someone say, honey, this is the my teacher from the videos. So apparently the whole household watched <laughs> the videos or inadvertently, you know. So tell but, yeah, what do you do in the videos? What do you mean? The, is it? like your course trailer videos or is it your YouTube channel? Oh yeah. What does the video mean? Oh yeah. Content videos. And so I use videos strategically. And and again, this isn't anything new per se, but they're underutilized. So instead of, you know, my PhD is in literacy, but people don't like to read a wall of text. And so introducing a module with a video is great because it gives them the big picture. And then um, I'd say the next best type of video is pick your trickiest concepts. And so whatever your field is, you've got these concepts that are really hard to learn, or, you know, they just, they're just conceptually dense. And so pick those videos to uh, pick those topics to make your videos for, because they'll watch them five times. Oh, I see. I see. see. (laughs) Yeah. So I pick my hard concepts for videos. I got it. Wow. That is, that's, that's really making me think too, that when we Gosh, Peggy, that's a really great idea because now you're helping me to think about a, a, a leadership course we just did recently and my my colleague and I were doing it together and we were really chewing on the fact that, well, this exercise is going to take a lot longer and we didn't want to arbitrarily stop the breakout rooms. And then we ended, when we got in the session, a couple groups came back early to the main room because they were done, but a couple others were really struggling with it. Right. And then we felt like, where she's texting me and chatting me. She's like, we're not going to get, we're not going to get through it. We're not going to get through it. What do we do? Should we skip breakout number three? And she was freaking out. And I was like, I don't know. But now you're making me think that, wow, when when we design our content, think about the the areas that are going to, we know are going to be either really deep or tough or require, you know, some, as you suggested, some people are think more slowly or the more introverted say really want to chew about something versus the extroverts like me who are just going to start blah, 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 that that might be an opportunity to like a pre-assignment, you know, might, you mm-hmm. might look exactly. earlier yeah. and yeah. afterwards, we know we didn't get a chance to really fully debrief this after the session, we're going to send you a link to a video. We'd encourage you to watch mm-hmm. this and think about it more and share your thoughts. So in a Google doc, I mean, Wow, you're really getting me excited, Peggy. <laughs> so there's yeah. yeah. And and the one, you know, this is sort of unscientific, but I have, you know, I've had my YouTube channel for 10 years and I have this huge outlier video that has like 500,000 views. 
And it's kind of the driver of my YouTube channel. And it's on the hardest topic in the field in the of learning. Awareness. Yes. I'm yeah. <laughs> and it's like this. I was just standing up in front of the room and I, I randomly put a, a little flip camera. Remember those on the desk and recorded myself. And it ended up being like my biggest hit <laughs> because nobody understands it. it. It's true. And like, I don't know that I did a, an earth shattering explanation but it's short, it's 10 minutes, and it covers the, the three big topics, phonological awareness, phonemic awareness, and phonics. And, and those are the biggies for learning to read. And most people just think of everybody knows phonics, but, but like, what are the other two? They're the underlying building blocks. But anyway, it's a hard topic. It's really hard. And it's the m- most um, visited for a reason. It's the hardest topic. So that's kind of been my aha of having that YouTube channel is people drift toward and search for the hardest topics. People drift for and search for the hardest topics. You are so right, Peggy. That is, I love ideas that are so awesome and so simple though. It's so like, why haven't we thought about this? Some, and I'm sure people are screaming right now. Of course we thought about it, Kim. We do it all the time. But I was recently doing some analyses, reanalyses and reanalyses of data for a revise and resubmit paper again. And I was like, well, multinomial regression, like what are the assumptions? And I couldn't, I'm trying to harken back to, you know, my stats courses, you know, 75 years ago. And I'm like, everything's on YouTube. I want to YouTube this. And sure enough, like this most complex statistical structural equation modeling like 50 videos i'm like when where was this when we were in graduate school right right right. you are so (laughs) right peggy that is a great idea think all of us as faculty members Mm -hmm. as faculty development leaders Mm -hmm. faculty affairs you know those of us who do promotion appointment the things the questions that we get asked all the time and the things that faculty members have the toughest time wrapping our heads around because we're not necessarily taught how to do it my gosh let's just create these short, you know, micro learning, short form learning, mm-hmm. and YouTube videos on those dense topics. But oh my gosh, what a great way to impact and reach mm-hmm. and disseminate your science. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. my gosh, Peggy, love yeah. it. <sighs> wow, this has been great. I, mean, <laughs> I, I want to redirect you to, gosh, email Peggy, Dr. Peggy Semmingson at U to University of Texas Arlington, but you can email her at Peggy S at mm-hmm. UTA.edu. Peggy mm-hmm. S at UTA.edu. Check out her YouTube channel. It's amazing. It's Peggy Semmingson. Uh, you can Google uh, her article that was in Journal of Faculty Development, which is super good about bridging distance and fostering community. And uh, check her out at Texas. This is so great. I I have so many great ideas and I really appreciate you and especially love the the sense of community and communication of there's a bear down the road. There's a moose down the road. (laughs) The faculty members like, what are our bears down the road and a moose down the road? There's COVID down the road. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There's a supply chain down the road. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's help each other. Let's kind of yeah. Let's kind of adopt a little bit of Alaska community here. And so, thank you for bringing that. Yeah. That yeah. That lovely sentiment and caring about each other, and that's what we're doing here on the Faculty Factory community. So, thank you for being a part of it, Dr. Summings. And really, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I love this podcast.
Thanks a lot, Peggy. And see you guys next time on the Faculty Factory Podcast. Hello, Faculty Factory listeners. It's your friendly podcast producer here, Casey Callanan. Just to remind you, if you didn't already know it, the Faculty Factory is now offering coaching. You can learn more by visiting facultyfactory.org slash coaching. Faculty Factory Coaching is about building a thriving clinical, educational, and research career to be successful beyond all your expectations. Most of all, it's about living a joy-filled life. To learn more about Faculty Factory Coaching, drop us a line over at facultyfactory.org front slash coaching, and you can learn more there. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.